Praise the Lord. I just enjoy that presence, don't you? God is good. Well, Sister Fran asked me to anoint some prayer cloths. How many did you need? Okay. Do you want the ones already anointed? Or you got some more? Bring those. I'll anoint those too. Does anybody else want a prayer cloth to take? Okay. We'll come and get one then. And I'll pray over them at the same time. Okay. Well, we're going to pray for all of them in Jesus' name. Yes. All right. Yeah. What do you need? One? We've got two cancer patients. Stay right here. I'm going to pray over all these cloths. I mean, two? Okay. Let's see it. See if see if that's two. You need one? Two? Let me see if I got some on here. I do. Okay. Let me oil myself up. Well, let's see here. Yeah, Randy, thank you for staying the course. Here you go. Great. Got one? Okay. Oh, you did? Okay. Kelly, how many did you need? Couple? Okay. Well, you know, they did this in the New Testament. They sent prayer cloths from Paul. Or kerchiefs. preaching in Costa Rica, San Jose, Costa Rica. We had a fabulous service that Sunday, and a lady came up after the service was finished, and she said, can I have your handkerchief? Because, you know, I've been wiping, because they don't have our conditioning and heating in those buildings. You know, of course, it's Central America, so it was warm, and I kept wiping the sweat off. I said, well, you don't want this. It's all sweaty. For her Lord, for her Lord. Tears in her eyes. She needed it for her mother, who was at home. She took that home, put it on her mother. She got healed, and the lady came to church that night. And they were so excited about that. Everybody, stretch your hands toward them. Chelsea, come on up here. I'm going to anoint you. They are, they had a mice-infested house, and they got out of it. And now they're looking for a house. Three or four bedroom with two baths at least, because his brother is going to be staying with them. And I'm just going to join with them right now. There is so much authority and power by Jesus Christ. I agree with them that the right home be opened up to them. 
things happen when you depend on the Lord. They really do. I'll tell you what. And uh, we've been talking about the lies of the enemy and how Satan wants to use a lie to trip you up, to hinder you, to stop you from your blessing. And so, and I'm not even going to the New Testament tonight. That's unusual for me. I like to do both. But we know that God is greater. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That's New Testament. So I'll throw one in there at the beginning. So you got the New Testament too. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So let's go to Genesis 30 and verse 22. And let's see that. It says, Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. You know, uh, back in those days, you were looked down upon if you didn't, if you weren't able to provide a child for your husband or whatever. And uh, you know the story of Joseph, how he had to go and Laban, his father-in-law, tricked him. Uh, not Joseph, Jacob. I'm sorry. A little slip of the tongue there. But anyway, uh, he deceived him. And he worked seven years to be able to get Rachel. That was the apple of his eye. But when he got to the altar, they had a veil over the face of the daughter. And so they went through whatever the ceremony was. And when they ended up in the wedding tent and everything went the way it did, and then he woke up in the morning and saw her in the daylight, it wasn't Rachel. It was Leah, her other sister. And you know, the Bible doesn't say she was ugly either. She just wasn't the one that he really wanted. And so, you see, uh, it just, it was disconcerting to him. He wanted Rachel. Now, in those days, you were allowed to have more than one wife. In fact, in the Arab culture, uh, they can have four wives. I don't know how on earth anybody could afford more than one, myself. But, they had four wives. They could have up to four wives. And many times they would even allow their servant girls. You know the, how it worked with Sarah? She got Abraham to go into her uh, servant girl, Hagar, and they had an Ishmael. And you know, when a person's born, they're a human being. They're good. You know, God loves them. But it wasn't done the way God wanted it to be done. See, that's the key. God will provide. He will do the work. And that's what he's saying here. God remembered Rachel, and he allowed her womb to be opened, and she had a child. But the point is, the devil doesn't want you to think that God's going to remember you or remember the promise that he's made to you or that he is going to move on your behalf. He wants you to think that you are not worth it, that you are not valuable enough. And so, you know, it, it's a hard road to go when the enemy's whispering in your ear all the time. But we're going to see certain points here. And I've got it big enough. I probably don't need these glasses, but I'm going to just pop them on the end of my nose make me look dignified. How about that? Well... This is what happens when he tries to tell you God doesn't remember you. He's trying to make you question your value as a person. How many of you have ever doubted yourself? I mean, I used to wonder, Lord, are you sure you called me to the ministry? Because some of the spots I got in, and it just seemed like it was going to take forever. You know, Every preacher loves the feeling of the anointing. I mean, we love it when God is moving. We love, not that we love the sound of our own voice, but we just love that feeling we get when we express the Word of God. 
lot of people say that's the anointing. Randy says, oh, the anointing is here. Well, I keep telling Randy, the anointing is marked to you. It's always going to be there, Randy. So every time you get a minute, if I could put my hand on the keyboard like he does, I'd be anointed instantly to sing. But God didn't make me that way. He made Zach and Randy and Sean and different ones able to do that. Well, I'm sorry. You know, I, I can sing an old song once in a while and I feel good. But the fact is, you're anointed and marked for certain things. So not everybody in this room is marked to do the exact same thing. We have promises as believers now. He, he said, go heal the sick, raise the dead. The lame will walk and the blind will see. The deaf ears will open. But I don't know how many of you feel super confident that if you do it, it's going to happen. I didn't always feel that way, you know. I felt good when I was preaching, you know. I finally got out there, and but it took a while to believe for certain miracles. And it's still, if you know, when you're in the presence of God, I mean, it rises up, and then, boom, you can feel like you can do anything that God's promised. But not everybody feels like, well, if I'm making altar call, and this is the thing. We have certain societal expressions and church activities. Now, did they, have, they didn't even have sound systems back in Jesus' day. They, he went out in a boat on the lake because the water amplified his voice so that the multitude could hear him. You know, how about that? We didn't have a sound system. All we need to do is get us a building right next to a a big pond or something, and I can go out and Zach can go out and preach off of a boat dock on the water. Yeah. But they've created sound systems since then. I'm sure a lot of the Old Testament, New Testament people could come, and they'd be astounded at how on earth we can technologically do what we do. You know, it'd be amazing to them. But the fact is, the anointing is powerful. Now, every one of you, I'll use it as an example, you had confidence in something when I told you how many want a prayer cloth. And I told you about an instance, that wasn't the only one I've ever used. That was one instance where a lady took my handkerchief from me and went and her mother got healed. So uh, you felt it or you wouldn't have come and got it, you know. Fran had faith for it. That's why she asked for those prayer cloths to be anointed. And so she has a belief that if she takes those prayer cloths to those cancer patients, and we agree for that, that they are going to get touched by the hand of God. You know, we were just conduits of agreement, and we had the oil in the bottle to put on it. But, you know, not everybody feels the confidence to do it. And that's why the devil doesn't want you to have confidence. He does not want you to believe you can do it. And he'll point out every one of your flaws and every one of your weaknesses to try to get you not to be confident to step out and do any ministering. But so he makes you question your value. How valuable are you? Natalie's got a little baby, and she's a sweetheart. And uh, I went back there and talked to her, and she just looked at me. You know, she didn't know what I was saying, but I was talking her language. But Natalie didn't have that confidence about being a mother until that baby came when she held that little girl in her arms for the first time. You didn't have to say you are a mother and try to convince her she was a mother. She instantly became a mother. She already started feeling it when the baby was in her tummy, you know. But, you know, you don't have to convince somebody when they got the evidence right there. See, the second thing the enemy tried to do, he wants you to feel worthless. That's the same thing as questioning your value. But he wants you not just question your value. He wants you to go even farther down the net. He wants you to feel like you're worthless. 
How does he do that oftentimes? He tries to throw a curveball at you, baseball terminology. He tries to get you to get in the ditch, to make a, a mistake, to sin, to fall. But, you know, what do we do if we fall or give in to something? we got to repent. That's all. Just come back to Jesus, say, I'm sorry, Lord, and repent of it and keep going. But the devil would like to use that to make you feel like you're worthless. How can you get up there and do that? How can you, Randy, lead singing and you had that thought in your mind or, or you said those words to somebody? You know, He'll try to get you to not believe that you are who you are. The third thing, we find that people have a preference and it's not us. In other words, they'd rather hang out with somebody else. They don't think we're it. And that's another thing really dealing with self-esteem. The devil would try to make you think. When I was pastoring that home mission work in uptown New Orleans, and I'm just going to tell you how it was. I was in, a, that city's 94% Catholic. And they had never, they had a Baptist church uptown on St. Charles Avenue. I was over uh, in the uptown area, but I was off of Carrollton Avenue, a block. And you would know what that is, but it's still in the uptown area. And that was, just, in fact, the Catholic Archdiocese of New Orleans, that whole region, was around the corner and across the street from my church. I mean, I was in the shadow of the steeple of the Catholic Archdiocese. And there was never an Assembly of God, which is what that church was. There was never a Pentecostal church or a charismatic church that ever made it in the uptown area. I just knew, I wasn't trying to be cocky, but I just knew, man, I'm the one going to break this thing. And you know what? It broke me. I didn't feel like I was worth two cents. I thought everybody else preferred somebody else. I don't think I can build this thing. And after about eight months, I had 14 people. I started with four. So we tripled in just eight months. That sounds pretty good when you put it that way. 14 people. I'd look out there on Sunday morning, I'd say, man, I thought for sure some of my old friends when I used to live down here would come out, be a part of our church. I thought, I'd, I'd knocked on a thousand doors in that whole area and left a flyer or I talked to people. I brushed my teeth. I used mouthwash. I used deodorant and even put on some cologne to boot. And I smiled and I was friendly. Not one person came to visit our church from that thousand doors that I knocked on. How many of you would feel like you needed to give up if that happened to you? Come on, be honest. You'd feel like, man, I don't think, I, I think maybe I didn't hear the voice of God when I came down here. I'll tell you what, though, I had one guy that came. He was a salesman for Zapp's Potato Chips. They just came out with those. They were Cajun potato chips made over uh, just, uh, I forget the name of that town, but it was only about 30 miles west of New Orleans. And he had dropped me off a box full of Zapp's potato chips on my front porch. Man, that was better than tithe money, you know. It tasted better. But I tell you what, it was tough. And I didn't think I was worth two cents in the ministry. I thought, man, everybody else prefers to go to a different church than ours. And I didn't think I wanted to knock on one more door. I'd go ride my bike around Audubon Park and, and pray, and I'd walk the streets, and, and, you know, and it stripped me down. I mean, it knocked me down to size. And you know what? I humbled myself. And that's when I got a call from the Assembly of God here asking if I'd like to be the associate pastor and be over the Christian school. I said, well, uh, I'm going to 
pray for a little bit while my wife is packing. And I'll let you know in the morning. <laughs> I said, honey, we're moving. And we did. And it was the right place at the right time for the right minister. But I wouldn't have been ready if I hadn't gone through that ringing out. I had to go through that. And the funny thing is, before I left House Springs to go to New Orleans to do the mission work, my last Sunday I preached at that church going away. There was a lady come in there, and she came up to me. I'd never seen her before. The pastor had never seen her before. And she walked over, and she just looked average. You know, she was probably about, looked like she might have been 55 years old or something. She wasn't real young, and she wasn't real old. But she looked me in the eye, and she said, I had a vision. I saw you in a place full of kids. You know what? I remembered that after I got wrung out real good. And I ended up moving here to lead that Christian school. And I was in the middle of a bunch of kids every day. And so God knows what he's doing. The devil tries to lie to you and, and tries to get you not to see or hear what God's trying to show you. The next thing is insecurity sets in. And that's the truth. Because you start questioning, you know, how are we going to make it? My wife had a job at the Superdome, and her boss was like a female Hitler. I mean, she was something else. And my wife would come home crying every afternoon. <laughs> From that job, she worked for the, you know, the greater New Orleans area uh, tourism. And I said, honey, if you got to, you just quit that job. We'll trust God. See, the Assemblies of God gave me $500 a month to start the new church. That was in 1987, uh, in the fall, it started. They only gave it to you for six months. They gave me some songbooks. They gave me a piano and an organ and 25 chairs. They might have even given me an offering basket. I don't know. But anyway, I thought, man, this thing's going to blow up. We're going to have such a great time. And when it didn't blow up, I was blown out. You know, I just didn't have no confidence. I didn't have security. You know, I told my wife, you need to quit. It's okay. We'll, you'll get a job. I even started going and putting my application in to be a school teacher. I even put it in at an all-girls school. I mean, I tried everything, you know, wherever they had an opening. But it just didn't happen. And then God opened the door that I was supposed to go through. If you stick it out with God, He will open the door for you. He will put you in the right place eventually. So you don't give up. The next thing is, a lot of times there's jealousy that happens. When you do start going in the right direction, other people get jealous. And, uh, you know, I got that position, and there was people here that thought they should have got that position. And so there's jealousy, which provides opposition, too. You know, look at Genesis 28, 13, and 14. It says... And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham your father and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. And your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south, and in you and your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. See, there was a promise. Rachel could not get pregnant. Because, see, he worked seven more years, and then he got Rachel. How would you like to date your betrothed for 14 years before you could ever hold her hand or anything? You know, guys, I mean, it was a pretty bad situation. Of course, he had Leah. You know, he had to get two for one. But anyway, she had babies. She brought worth to the family because she had the baby. And then her, her uh, concubine, or whatever, whatever you call them, became a concubine to him. 
her workers, uh, different ones got pregnant even. I mean, he was having babies right and left with everybody except Rachel. But she had a promise. He said, in your seed, this will happen. And of course, that promise went all the way back to Abraham and Sarah and to Isaac and to Rebekah. And then it came down to Jacob and Leah and Rachel. But Rachel had that promise. And uh, God opened her womb. He fulfilled the promise. And then we see that God, how many of you know he's got a promise for you? Do you know what it is? What he's shown you? Yeah, write it down. Shoot, I'd write it down. I'd draw diagrams, pictures. I'd put names on things. It's so funny. See? Now, I shouldn't get into that too much. But, you know, even names. Other people try to use the name God gave you certain things and so you know you got to watch it the enemy will try to use that Genesis 30 22 through 24 says then God remembered Rachel he said he was going to remember her and God listened to her and opened her womb and she conceived and bore a son and said God has taken away my reproach verse 24 so she called his name Joseph and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. Wow. And then she had Benjamin after that. But you know the story of Joseph. Man, she endured to have Joseph. God opened her womb. How lovely it was. Daddy loved Joseph. Gave him a little coat of multicolors. And... You know, had all this promise. Her, the other brothers got jealous. There's that jealousy thing. And they determined to get rid of him. Only they ended up selling him instead of killing him into slavery. And you know that story on down the road, what happened. Because of what Joseph endured, he ended up being in a position to save that whole family, which saved the whole nation of Israel. So... What a story it is. I'd like to see that in a movie. A good movie. But God will remember you. And the word remember in the Hebrew, zakar, to do something properly. To mark. To remember. He marks you for his remembrance. We are marked for transformation. And there will be a shift out of the torment as we see God be faithful. God will be faithful. You're marked for transformation. You know, and when I left New Orleans, I did not build a great church or anything. Nobody would have remembered me down there for anything super duper. But uh, I did my best and I prayed every day and I read my word and I sought God. And I was hoping to see it happen. But God, and this has happened to me two or three times, He's brought me back to this area because this was the place of my promise and God's vision that He showed me. didn't matter where I went. I could be successful and I could be fruitful, and I was in other places. Now, when I went to Florida, we were fruitful. We built a great church there with the Holy Spirit's leading. And what a trip it was to go through that hurricane and rebuild everything and then see all those people come in. Lots of people get saved and healed and delivered. And, you know, that was a different chapter and season in my life than to come here. And it hadn't been easy, but we have plotted on. And God is going to fulfill every bit of the vision and promise that he gave me. And... Uh, you know, a lot of it's going to live out through Zach and Danielle and the other younger families as we that are getting older. We're going to enjoy seeing it and participating in it before either the Lord returns or we go on to meet him, you know, one day. But he will do what he said he was going to do. 
That is definite. So God will remember you. He will mark you. He will show you. That's like that gold tooth that I got when I went to Mexico. I'm getting ready to go to Mexico again here next week. But uh, when I went that one time four years ago, Dave Downey went with me. And, and I said, Lord, show me anything, a gold filling or something that I'm going to know I'm going to see this vision happen and that the money is going to be there to fulfill it. And sure enough, a week after I got there, I got to open my mouth and I saw a gold crown on one of my teeth. And the dentist didn't do it, and I certainly didn't do it. And I got to tell you, I'm too tight to spend money for a gold tooth. I wouldn't have done it. That's a lot of tacos that I wouldn't get to eat. You know? But uh, anyway, God always remembers, and when he does, he marks you with the promise. And then we see in Genesis 31, and we're going to read a few more. Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's son, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's. From what was our father's, he has acquired all this wealth. And Jacob saw the countenance of Laban, and indeed it was not favorable toward him as before. Laban was his father-in-law. They agreed. There's so much more to this. But, you know, he, he said... Look, I need to build my family's wealth too. I mean, he was Laban was so blessed because Jacob was working for him that he had to come up with a system where if the cows were spotted, they would be Jacob's. And if they were just plain Jane, you know, the goats, the cows, the sheep, whatever, you know, uh, then they would be Laban's. And so he put reeds that were different colors in front of them when they go to the trough to eat so that they'd see that and then when they conceive isn't that something that'd make them believe in faith to have a, a spotted cow or something and so that happened i mean his herd got so big then he wanted to leave it was time to go home back to where his family was and uh, he had you know beaten esau out of his birthright you know he came in hungry he wasn't spiritual and he said, well, give me your birthright. I'll give you a pot of stew here. So he said, oh, yeah, yeah, that's nothing. And so it was. It was a spiritual act. So when it happened, you know, then here's Laban. He's mad. You're going to take my daughters and my grandkids, and you're going to take all these animals? Who's going to run my farm now? You've been doing so great. And so then some of the brethren of the, and servants of Laban, you know, they were saying, hey, how can this be? But see what Rachel did, and she shouldn't have done it. She took her father's idols. See, Jacob didn't believe in those idols. And she hid them under a blanket or something in the ground. She dug a hole or something, put them in there. She hid them in her tent. And Laban was upset too because his idols were gone. He didn't think he was going to be blessed spiritually either. but And Jacob didn't know this, see. So the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers, to your family, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field, to his flock, and said to them, I see your father's countenance, that it is not favorable toward me as before, but the God of my father has been with me. And you know that with all my might I have served your father, yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not allow him to hurt me. Laban was a scoundrel, cheapskate, a thief. If he th said thus, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore speckled. And if he said thus, the streaks shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked animals, see? So God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. And it happened at the time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream, behold, the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted. Isn't that something? They got pretty rambunctious there. Then the angel of God spoke to me in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. 
And he said, lift your eyes now and see. All the rams which leap on the flocks are streaked, speckled, and gray spotted, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel. And Bethel means the house of God, by the way. He's the God of the house, of, over the house, the spiritual house. Where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me, now arise, get out of this land, and return to the land of your family. You know, when God speaks to you, you've got to obey Him. I asked God, I said, when am I supposed to move back to Poplar Bluff? Because this desire kept growing and growing to see the vision that He had shown me. And He said, when your father passes away, you can move back. So, I just relaxed where I was at. School kept growing, the daycare grew, the church grew. I was getting invited. I, I, was, I was on the board of like promise keepers. I was part of Walk for Jesus. I was in the leadership of so many things in the city of Miami and in Homestead. I was recognized. City councilmen came to see me. They invited me to their offices, invited me out to eat. I was, you know, offered different things, different places and people. I was blessed. And we had a good 800 to 1,000 people attending church and, and even more because, you know, you have 20% gone about every week you have church. So we had more people than I even knew we had. And yet my heart kept saying, i got to go back home. And the Lord was saying, you're going to go home after your father passes. I don't know what that had to do with it, but it, it was just like a sign on the road, 10 miles to Papa Bluff or something. And uh, I went, I had service, great service. We went out to Golden Corral. I went home. The kids were playing. I had my vest on. I used to wear a vest in those days. And, you know, those little, what do you call those ties? Huh? Bolo ties, yeah. Had the little strings. I wear my cowboy boots. Make me be tall, you know, those heels on those boots. Tower over people. But, no, I'm just joking. I did look tall at the wedding, though, didn't I, when I gave Chelsea away? I wanted to make sure I was taller than John when I looked over at her mother and I, you know. So you'd know I meant business. But got home, took off my vest. Holy Spirit said, your father is passing away today. And I said, oh. I hung up my vest. I turned to my wife. I said, Daddy's going to die today. And uh, I said, there's nothing I can do but go in and read the newspaper at this point. And uh, he's in the nursing home. And, and uh, he was almost 77 years old. But he wanted to go to heaven. I mean, he was tired of this life and this earth. And so, you know, there, there he is, and here I am. And, and so I told my wife that about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I went and sat down and read the, the, you know, the, the big newspaper from New Orleans. I mean, that thing was like, it was real thick. And you didn't have all the news on your eye. You didn't have an iPhone or anything like that, you know. It just didn't exist. You know, they did have cell phones. I had one that was, I think at that time I had the Nextel and it was like a walkie-talkie. And I could either call or I could beep beep anybody in my team, you know. Next tells, they called them. But uh, anyway, I, there I was. And kids were playing. I flipped on a baseball game on TV and watching it. And about 7 o'clock our time, my sister called me. And said, Kevin, this is Carol. I said, Daddy died, didn't he? She said, yeah, the nursing home just told me. I said, the Lord told me four hours ago that he was dying today. I told Lucia I'd be getting a call. And sure enough, you know, and I, I told her, I said, go to the church, phone my mom, have an usher, get her and tell her she's got a phone call. So she'll come out to the lobby and tell her out there and then get her things and take her, you know, out of the service. And, 
And so I already had a plane ticket. I was flying in on Tuesday already and going to go back on Thursday because we had a kid's thing uh, for the Christian school on Friday because I was doing services in Papa Bluff twice a month at the radio station. So see, God, he puts it in you when it's time. He says, go back home. Go to the land of your fathers. Get ready. The promise is there. I mean, the promise is right there. I don't know about you. I feel doodads on my skin right now. Your promise is closer than you even know to coming about. And that's what he was talking about. And he was telling them, God is going to give a blessing and a command as he did with Jacob to go face the enemy and return to your home. You've got to face the Laban in your life and know that God is with you. Let's look at verse 19 through 29. Now Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the household idols that were her father's. And Jacob stole away unknown to Laban, the Syrian, in that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. So he fled with all that he had. He arose, crossed the river, headed toward the mountains of Gilead. And Laban was told on the third day that Jacob had fled. Then he took his brethren with him and pursued him for seven days' journey. And he overtook him in the mountains of Gilead. But God had come to Laban, the Syrian, in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. Scared him. So Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mountains, and Laban with his brethren pitched in the mountains of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you have stolen away unknown to me and carried away my daughters like captives taken with the sword? Don't you know people will accuse you of a lot of things? Why did you flee away secretly and steal away from me and not tell me, for I might have sent you away with joy and songs, with timbrel and harp, and you did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters, his grandkids, in other words. Now you have done foolishly in so doing. It is in my power to do you harm, but the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. When it's time, it's time. And God can even speak to your enemies to hold their horses. And so he spoke to him, Randy. That's so you wouldn't nod off there. <laughs> I know my voice is very soothing, the way it sounds. It can make you sleepy if you're not careful. But anyway, it's really something to see how God moves the pieces of the puzzle in and out of place and gets you prepared, gets you ready. You know, she stole those idols, and that was wrong. But Laban, God spoke to him. He can speak to your enemies. Brother Gorman always told the story how they were going to buy the church that they had when I worked there. That thing would seat 1,500 people in the auditorium, and he had six services on Sunday. That church was over 7,000 people. I was one of three youth pastors on the staff when I was done. You know, And uh, it was just a big operation you could say. But when he was moving from the smaller location and they were auctioning off this Baptist church, the Mid-City Baptist Church, he stationed his men, his leaders, all around that property where the auction was taking place, on all the corners. And they were to pray in the Holy Spirit. And so when he got there uh, to bid, you're talking about a plant that was a hundred, I think it was a hundred and forty or sixty thousand square feet total. Had four floors to it. Had a full gym and everything. I had my own 
classroom. And they let me make a dark room. I taught the kids photography and all kinds of stuff, you know, when I first got there. But it was an awesome facility. And he, it was worth probably $5 million at the time. And there was business people there, corporation people. Lots of people gathered there to bid. And different ones bid with him for a little bit. And Brother Gorman bid, I think it was either 500000 or $600,000, you know, for this $5 million property. And this other man was there, and something told him, do not bid anymore. And he was from a big corporation. They were going to turn that thing into corporate headquarters of some kind. And he said that they asked once, twice, sold to Reverend Gorman. And so this man walks over and he says, you don't know me, Pastor. He says, I represent such and such company. And I was prepared to bid up to $3 million. And something told me over there in my mind, do not bid anymore against this preacher. I mean, when it's your time and it's God's promise, he can even speak to those that could be a, an obstacle to you fulfilling what you're going to do there. It's really an awesome thing. And I'm almost done. But Jacob was pursued by Laman, Laban and Rachel, even though she stole her father's idols. Now, Genesis 31, 30 through 35, this is the last scriptures here. Now you have surely gone because you greatly long for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods, his idols? Then Jacob answered and said to Laman, Laban, because I was afraid, for I said, perhaps you would take your daughters from me by force. With whomever you find your gods, do not let him live. See, Jacob didn't know that she had stolen. In the presence of our brethren, identify what I have yours and take it with you. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. And Laban went into Jacob's tent, into Leah's tent, and into the two maids' tents, and he did not find them. Then he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household idols, put them in the camel's saddle, and sat on them, and Laban searched all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let it not displease my lord, that I cannot rise before you, for the manner of women is with me. In other words, she was on her time of the month. And he searched, but did not find the household idols. And I'm going to tell you what, God is a gracious and kind and loving God. He let her get away <laughs> with stealing those idols and lying, you know, after he had promised to open her womb, even. And Jacob didn't know, see, but the promise to Jacob was so strong. And of course, I can't get into all that tonight, the rest of that, but Laban confronted Jacob. Rachel lied. Jacob's words became a curse because of her actions. I put a cruise. I'm sorry. It wasn't a cruise. It was a curse. And he was tricked by his wife and suffered personal battles after that. And negative thoughts such as God won't bless you now. And you robbed Esau of his birthright. And you deserve to be punished. And then the next one, he however stayed focused and saw the completion of the vision anyway. And we must remember those who paved the way for us and remain faithful to the task. You know, what am I telling you? Ministry and life is not rosy. And sometimes you're going to be at odds with people. Sometimes there's going to be confrontation. You know, I heard, and I won't say any more about it but than this, we heard about a pastor that was being voted on and <coughs> so on recently in the region, and, and he didn't get voted out, but the people who are against him supposedly left the church. You know, so 
you know, there's a lot of trouble out there. Just because you become something doesn't mean you're not going to have a lot of opposition. And anytime God gives you a promise, you're going to have opposition. It doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't doesn't mean you won't have no trouble. Trouble will try to find you. It'll try to destroy you. And but guess what? You're here. You haven't gone away. It's not over yet. You know. Uh I think it's funny, Yogi Berra, he said something. He said, always go to your friend's funeral because you want them to come to yours. Isn't that crazy? He always had, they called him Yogiisms. He was a catcher for the New York Yankees. He was from St. Louis, from the hill up there, you know. And uh, he was a funny guy. But he said, always go to your friend's funeral. Because you want them to come to yours. Well, if they're dead, they're not coming. You know. But anyway, what's that got to do with this? I don't know. Just popped in my head. Yeah. I'm just telling you, there there's trouble on the horizon. You know that? Yeah. Get ready. These are the greatest days and some of the most difficult days ahead. But if you stick it out with Jesus, you're going to win. You're going to come out on top. Amen? Stand with me. Father, I love you. I thank you for Jesus. Holy Spirit, oh, we love the way you move. We love the way you speak to us. And I ask you, Lord, to be with us as we leave here tonight. Do in us what you want and through us what you want. Help us to be fruitful and multiply in every effort, and don't let us quit before we reach the goal that we're going for. Amen? Amen.